Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Keywords. I'm one of your hosts, Megan, and alongside me is my colleague and friend, Dylan. Hi guys, uh, my first time hosting the podcast. Um, if you've not heard our voices before, um, that's because we're just one of a team of hosts that we're going to be using on the Embryo podcast. You'll be hearing myself, Megan, Charlie, Tamara and Nafisa over however many episodes that you want to stay tuned for. Um, if you listen to the podcast before, uh, you'll know that Nevermind the Keywords is somewhat about Manchester, but also just about marketing in general and talking to interesting people. Um, we'll be chatting to a guest each week um, from a whole host of different industries, uh, just trying to um, get conversation flowing, really. In this episode, we're joined by industry expert Andrew Holland, who has over 10,000 followers on LinkedIn, and he just happens to be one of Embryo's newest recruits. Andrew has had a career in the police force, boxing, and also includes judo and now marketing. So uh, we'll be getting to know him a little bit more throughout this episode. But first, uh, we're going to discuss our latest findings and what we found online that seems particularly interesting. going to be chatting about anything that we've seen on the internet over the past few weeks that we find particularly interesting and that we think is worth chatting about. Dylan, do you want to take us through yours first? Yeah, so I found a piece um, that was about kind of behavioural trends, kind of post-COVID. Um, a couple of really interesting points from that article, I thought. Um, do you want to just rattle through them? Yeah. Um, so the first kind of thing it kind of brought up was the prominence of buy now, pay later yeah. um, <laughs> across pretty much every website that you can possibly buy anything yeah. on. Um, I know I've been a bit of a sucker for using it on most purchases. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just there. It's convenient. Uh, it just, it, it feels like the magic way to pay almost now, doesn't it? I think for me as well, like when I'm buying clothes and I buy so many that I know probably 80% of them aren't going to fit and I'll be going straight back. There's no point paying yeah. for them up front. I've, until... I've done it a lot with clothes. Like it gives yeah. you the leeway of buying a couple of different sizes, not having to pay right now. Exactly. And as long as you've sent back the sizes that didn't fit, um, if you remember to. Um, why else would you shop any yeah. other way, I guess? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I, I'd be interested to see if, I mean, I think most places now have that feature on the website yeah. where you can buy and I'll pay more later. More and more. I think every time I go on a site, I'm noticing oh, they've got it, and yeah. they've got it, and they've got it. And I know there's a couple of different versions of it. It's not just Klarna. Yeah. But I think PayPal do a paying free yeah, as well. Yeah, PayPal. So that kind of bridges the gap of pretty much any website where you can pay PayPal almost. Yeah. You can have it, and that's... It'd be, it'd be interesting to see if, if, if a consumer was to purchase something, if one site had that feature and the other didn't, whether that would influence their buying decisions. I suppose it depends on how much money they have and yeah, how much they're willing to pay yeah. up front. I think it... In, in a lot of cases, probably change the amount that they're willing to spend yeah, on the initial order of value. Yeah. I know, for, in, for instance, I wouldn't go and buy um, six shirts in three different sizes Yeah. Um, if it, if that money was coming out of my bank That's today. really true, yeah. Um, but with the option of paying it later or paying it over a couple mm -hmm. of installments, yeah. um, you can kind of afford yourself that leeway, yeah. which is obviously why I've been enjoying it so much. Um, the next thing the article um, mentioned, this is an article on the drum, by the way, um, it mentioned the kind of power of positive messaging post-COVID. Um, obviously, everyone's just had the, the roughest time. Don't want to mention the word too much. I know he's dwelled on it so much. But um, just the, the power of positivity yeah. in, in all your messaging now. People don't want to hear um, stuff like guilty pleasures. They don't yeah. want to hear things that... Um, 
it's almost like a sin that they're doing this mm. thing. They, they want to be kind of bigged up about doing it. They yeah. Want, they want to feel good about the things that they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was like, like a really cool, um, a really cool point, really. It's like uncertainty doesn't really sell to this new market of consumers. Um, you've just got to make them feel like they're making good choices that will make them happy, yeah. I suppose. And I think as well, I mean, obviously it does tie in with the pandemic, but I think even aside from that, just the way that marketing and society is moving anyway, it is towards people valuing that more positive messaging. She said Absolutely. there's been like loads of stigma and and discussions around the phrase guilty pleasures and making, you know, people maybe being made to feel like something should be a guilty pleasure yeah. or and, and it's not something that they should just yeah. be if it's a pleasure why enjoy. should they be guilty yeah, about it? Exactly. Exactly. Um but yeah I think it, I think it's an interesting point and, and something that's definitely just relevant to twenty first century than 2022 as opposed to just just post pandemic but yeah, yeah it's a good point. absolutely uh, and the final point that the article makes is about kind of flexibility not just in the way that we purchase but in the way that we work as well um i know ourselves included um we do a hybrid working scenario now i think pretty much every business had to go to that kind of hybrid yeah. setup during during covid uh some did it before mm-hmm. uh, but a lot have kept it afterwards i yeah. think there's going to be so many people in like the modern workforce who look for that as like an essential part of a job offering definitely um i know um there's so many people at embryo probably wouldn't want to go back to full-time office there's yeah also people who wouldn't want to go to full-time at home mm-hmm. um it's just having that flexibility yeah, isn't it, it? And choice. Yeah. i think everyone's kind of proved over the course of the last couple of years you can work from home without it taken away from productivity yeah you can run really successful businesses without having to be in the office 24-7. Yeah. Um, I personally see a huge value of being in the office. I love it. I'm a huge advocate of being in that space. Mm-hmm. It makes me more productive. Um, and I think it just help, helps me as a person as well. Yeah. I'm probably quite chatty. And I think having the opportunity to to be able to have a quick two-minute conversation rather than a 20-minute Slack conversation yeah. where you're waiting for replies, I think it just... It makes things more productive, easier, flows better. The that's, day, I think. Yeah, that's something that I agree with is that if I've got a day of, of meetings internally and the people that I need to speak to will be in the office and it's just easier for me to go in. Yeah. It's five minutes in person. Yeah. If you if you were to put a Google calendar invite in, you'd probably put it in for an hour. Yeah. And just it, by it default, doesn't need, it doesn't exactly. No. Um, I, know, I know I've probably been suspect of that. Of, it's also the idea of like wrangling wrangling people up and yeah. trying to get them all into the same room at a time where yeah. they just stick a calendar invite they're at home they can just jump jump on. yeah yeah you, you don't have to do all this kind of yeah. schedule 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 mm. side of things um and it, it just helps everything fl- yeah. flow doesn't it yeah um, yeah that's pretty much everything from my yeah. article do you want to talk about yours yeah so um i saw recently that linkedin i have enabled a feature now where you can add career breaks cool. um so where you've got your experience and your work experience, you can now have career breaks. So obviously people take time out of employment for a whole host of reasons, yeah, whether absolutely. it's bereavement, traveling, um, you know, caregiving, a whole host of different things, mm-hmm. even just like for the sake of their mental health as well, they might yeah, need a break. Um, and, and I think that was a really interesting move because I think career breaks for a long time have been stigmatized. Yeah, it's seen absolutely. as a bad thing. Like if there's a gap in your CV straight away, it's like, well, what? Why was you out of work? Which fair enough. Ask the question, but understand that that experience 
also contributes to the way that that person is and their skills just as much as the actual work Absolutely. experience does like, as well. You're, you're allowed time to yourself yeah. um, for whatever reason you need it. Um, and I don't think you should kind of be um, pushed aside because you did take that time at some point. Yeah. Just being able to now stick it on LinkedIn, evidence, just be, be honest, I yeah. guess, and say, I took this time for me or I took it because I went travelling for a year Yeah. or I just figuring things out for a year exactly like, you're allowed to do that yeah like, no matter what kind of stage in life you take it out whether it's when you're young and just come out of uni or mm-hmm. whether whether you take the break at 50 60 yeah. 70 80 years old yeah um it's just you should always be allowed to take that without it being held against yeah. you yeah i think there's there probably is cases of that um especially when it's such a kind of a fast-paced market you're always looking for the most productive people as mm-hmm. well um if you're seeing that there's a gap in someone's employment you you maybe end up feeling that oh well are they going to take that, that yeah for us? yeah um, which isn't a nice way to think about it and it, you probably shouldn't but I, I suppose if you're interviewing people that have had a career break yeah it's a, natural question it's a to question ask. to ask um, i think it's just it, recognizing yeah. that that experience like I, like i said before is still valuable it mm. might be valuable in some way it shapes them as a person and the skills that they can then bring to your business yeah. and i think as well given not to dwell on it too much yeah. again, but given the pandemic that word again. and and what a lot of people have been through, just like cut them some slack. Yeah. If people That's needed it. some time out just to figure things out, to homeschool the kids or Absolutely, you yeah. know, because that was might obviously have... a massive thing during yeah. that. You had to homeschool exactly. children. And that's not something you could ever have planned no. for. And I, I imagine as well, I mean, we're fortunate that we work in a very flexible workplace, yeah. but I imagine some people didn't have that flexibility mm-hmm. and they had so many responsibilities in that time that they just couldn't balance having a job as well. So I think a career break in that instance is yeah. like very, very justified. Yeah. And it's just such a simple change as well. They, yeah. They've added just a little line that you can yeah. put on. And I suppose for recruiters and employers, it's, it's probably a handy little tool Yeah. where... You kind you of get the answer to something of an awkward question yeah. without having to broach the topic yeah. and make everyone involved feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You get the answer to that um, career break question yeah. almost, but I imagine a lot of people don't like asking and it can be something of a, a block during yeah. interviews. Mm-hmm. You don't have to ask it anymore. It's there on LinkedIn if people have chosen to use the same, which I hope anyone who has taken a career break, I hope they feel confident enough yeah. to, to use it and actually yeah. just say out loud, this is what my career exactly. break is for. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, good points. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll be back uh, with our chat with Andrew Holland. We're now joined by Andrew, who started his career in the police force and has since transitioned into the digital marketing industry. He's now joined Embryo as our head of organic, and we're joined by him now in the studio. Welcome, Andrew, to Nevermind the Keywords. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Obviously, Embryo's latest addition to the the big guns, really. We've we followed you for years on on LinkedIn, <laughs> not uh, Instagram. <laughs> no, not Instagram on LinkedIn. Uh, we think we thought your posts are very insightful for, Thank for you. a long time now. So it's really great to have you on board, mate. Thank you. Um, obviously, as I touched on in the intro, you started your career in the police force. Um, so what was the the motivation behind that? Was it something that you'd always been interested in from a young age or something that you'd fell into? Okay, so my dad's a policeman. Okay. Uh, okay. So that's uh, something we have in common. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I was, uh, I've grown up around the police um, and I used to go to police stations all the time and it was very much a family organisation when I was, when I was 
a child. So, um, and invariably something came up, which is called the police cadets. It was staff to police cadets, which was a full-time job. And it had been going for nearly 60, 70 years. My dad had been a police cadet as well. So um, I had a couple options leaving school. It was one um, to uh, go to college. And the other one was to apply to be in the police cadets. There's only 20 places. So there's like, they have like a thousand applicants. And I got down to the, uh, I was in lucky enough to be including that. So mm. at 16, I joined the full-time police cadet program. And then from there, you serve like two and a half years as a police cadet. And it's lots of things like you, go on to become a sighted guide for the blind you have to go work at a supermarket you have to work with the elderly as well as go to the police stations and and do all different types of roles in the police station and then you apply to become a regular constable as they call it and yeah. at 18 then i joined up um as a regular so it was kind of um following in father's footsteps so to speak um and it was a just a choice i made at a very very young age so at 15, I chose to go in the police force, really. Yeah. yeah. So when you when you join in the police force there, do you kind of have an idea in mind of which part of the police force you kind of want to go into? Or do, is that kind of driven by your experiences kind of throughout as you're there? I think it's probably driven by, um, by film and TV, to be fair, more than anything else. But <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so me personally, I went to work experience when I was, back when they did work experience at yeah. schools. I know they, they don't do it as much anymore, or they don't. Mm. But I took um, my work experience at a cinema. So, it was, it, so it was, I got to watch a lot of films. I think tactically that was a really good decision because <laughs> um, other people I knew worked at architects and they were just bored. Mm. So, But no, I had a great time. And then uh, I watched Keanu Reeves and Speed. I am that old, yeah. So, um, and you don't know what I'm talking about probably. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. So Keanu Reeves and Speed, I'd watch that film at the cinema and I'd come home and my dad had been sort of like, he denies it to this day, but gently nudging me to the police. Um, and he, he came, you know, I came on that day and he, he got the application for the cadets and thought, that looks really good. I want to be Keanu Reeves. So, which is quite funny, really, because I still want to be Keanu Reeves now. I mean, you know, who <laughs> yeah, knew he was yeah. still going to be an action star. Later. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would love to be John Wick. So, um, but yeah, he's, um, that was what happened, basically. I, I, I just took a decision. And like most decisions in life that are more important, we don't spend very long thinking about them, do we? Yeah. So. Yeah. Hence why I was on that started my journey for 20 years in the police. So obviously digital marketing seems worlds away from the police force, but would you say there were any sort of transitional skills that you picked up on when you were in the police force that you've, that you've carried forward now into this industry? Yeah. So, I mean, on a basic level, um, marketing's about uh, changing behaviors and it's making change happen. Well, policing is also about making or changing behaviors. Um, you know, and there's lots of ways you do that through there's something called problem solving policing. Well, it was, I don't know what they call it these days, you know, I'm sure they've got new names, but problem solving policing was the idea that you didn't keep going to the same place all the time, dealing with the same people that you created solutions. Mm. And that's pretty much the same with marketing. We've got problems and behaviors we want to change. So there is a lot of crossover in that because there's a lot to do with emotions in the police uh, and, and, and crime. There's a lot of uh, content writing in terms of statements, you know, the amount of statements you'd have to write tell people stories you know when people died you have to take antecedent statements but a, a lot of the core part of my marketing skill happened sort of by accident i ended up working uh, in informant handling and uh, to, without going into the specifics because it, it's not really right that i do so um 
there's a lot of crossover and a lot regarding creating uh, intelligence and using intelligence systems, which leads really well into search engine optimization. Because in SS, in, in essence, we used to work on like a mini search engine, and we used to have to provide content for that search engine in the in in the form of intelligence. So that's kind of where I learned marketing is as an accident. I didn't know I was doing marketing then, and then when I later left that department and started going towards um, the route of being a sergeant, then what happened was marketing became more talked about in the police and how we how our perception, how, we, how the public are perceiving is it became more important. So I sort of started learning about it then. And then I just started accidentally blogging or just not accident. I, I started blogging and then started having successes because I was obviously drawing on skill set from previous that I didn't really know about, but everything made sense that I was doing. And then, yeah, that's sort of, that's how it developed over a period of time. So it went from something I didn't know I was doing and then it seemed to, everything made sense for me from that point on. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really such an interesting way to get into the, yeah. to the industry. Cause obviously most of the time you, you do a course of like, in my case, it was an apprenticeship uh, yeah. straight into digital marketing. I knew what I was getting myself in for almost. Yeah. Um, but to go from the police force and that kind of almost leads you into marketing is such an such a unique way of yeah. kind of entering, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, so what basically happened, I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy to talk about this in camera. My, my joy for the police did actually change quite dramatically. I had a very good first half of my career, a good medal really, but towards the tail end of me leaving in that period of time, my experience was quite negative with the police. This was going around about the recession, 2008. Police force went from a very well-funded organization to a very poorly funded organization due to political decisions. And that was quite evident with the amount of officers we had and the yeah. circumstances, the lack of promotions, the lack of new staff. And it was a very hard job. And it had gone from being a good job to an incredibly, a good but difficult job to being a very hard and challenging job mm. because you didn't have the resources. So so what I decided to do, and my little boy had just been born, he's, um, he's 11 now, so nearly 12. So he'd just been born and I was looking to start um, a bit of what you would call a side hustle to see yeah. where it would take me. And yeah. I started a martial arts club with a friend of mine and it really bombed. It really did. It, it's like really hard. I didn't know anything about marketing, by the way, at this stage. I'd, yes, I'd been in doing that informant stuff, but I didn't know about actual marketing strategies. So I, I remember what I did is I did everything that the marketing people said. So I went to the local newspaper and um, I purchased an ad in the paper and that nearly like, I was like 200 quid or something like that, plus design. I, and I thought, well, that's it. And one ad, game's over. They're going to be loads of people. One person showed up. <laughs> the The rent was ridiculous. I never negotiated the rent. I didn't I know how to do that. Yeah. That was through the roof. I didn't. I, I should have had free rent for the first few months. Yeah. Things like that I didn't know about. I was just like, yeah, great. So I funded a lot of it myself. And it was, it was a failure because it was really hard to get people through the doors, to get them to take the behavior we wanted. I'd stood outside colleges handing out leaflets schools handing out leaflets and i didn't understand things in the end you know we brought a website did it myself it was on godaddy at the time and then we and then what happened was we decided this wasn't financially viable and then i we closed closed like the, it was only a friday night session but we closed it down and i said i would never um do any other business activity until i knew everything i could about marketing so but what I decided to do, because the wife uh, it was, uh, she's still a mental health nurse, but she um, works in the community now. Mm -hmm. And so she was working nights and things like that, and I was in with the baby. And so what I decided to do is take the, take the website that we'd brought, and I created a blog out of that. And so all I was doing was happily blogging. Um, 
I, I, you know, I'd blog about martial arts and self-defense and that type of thing. And then, um, sure enough, one day I was getting ready for work. It was in the morning and um, I had a little boy to drop off at nursery. And then I get a call um, and it was a uh, producer from the radio. And he said, listen, we're doing an interview about self-defense um, and we'd love to you to come on and do the interview. So, okay, well, I'm at work at three, but I can come in if you want. And yeah, come down to the studio. Do you need us to give us, give you a taxi? No, no, I'll get there. You know, and, I, and I, just before I left, didn't think anything of it, thought because I thought it was local radio. And he said, I said, how many listeners are there going to be? And he said, 8.3 million. And I said, I said, hold on a second here. Yeah. W- w- what is this I'm doing? Because I had, honestly hadn't thought about it. Because, you know, you've got yeah. a, a child crying over there. You try and rush around and get your uniform ready. Yeah. He said it's the Jeremy Vine show on BBC Radio wow. 2. Okay. So, I, and I don't listen to radio, by the way. But he says, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. So, okay, cool. So, um, sure enough, I, I went down and we gave the interview. And then, yeah, it was brilliant. And it was only a short segment, really short segment. Came back and, and I promoted that interview on Facebook. And everyone was, like, congratulating me. But I walked away and thought to myself, if I can get in front of 8.3 million people for just £7 a month web hosting fee in my spare time, there's got to be something in this. How did that happen? And I couldn't understand how it happened. So I spoke to the producer and said, how did you find me? He said, well, we found you by your website. And that was it. From that point on, I was hooked. I was like, I needed to learn more about how people find you how, how he found me online, how other people find you online. I'd never even considered SEO yeah. on a scale of anything before. You know, I, I'd not even thought about it. And that's what happened. So from that point on, I decided to uh, invest all my time doing this. So I'd come home from work, like I'd work, work till midnight. I'd come home, I'd pour myself a glass of red or Pinot Grigio or whatever, and I'd sit there for an hour or two, literally doing uh, reading blogs online, going on courses. I'd then build websites. I'd then try and experiment. And I did that for like six, six seven years nonstop. I would, I'd have massive successes. And, and that's, that's how I, I got my experience and, at first in marketing. That was still while I was in the police. So I was doing all my spare time. Um, I wasn't paid for any of it. What would you say the most useful resource you used during that period was? The internet. You know, that, 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 that I learned everything. Yeah. Did you say it was blogs, courses? Uh, it, yeah, so at the time, um, there was two things I would say the most, most important things is one, experimentation, and two is education. So educating yourself and then testing it for myself out. And that's the only way because there were lots of sources of information out there. We didn't know what was right. And then, uh, so I would test lots of things out. Things wouldn't fail. I, I created, I remember creating a um, chocolate cake website where literally I'd bought this old chocolate book that I had, they didn't have the, you could publish without any rights issues. And I thought if you build it, they will come like, you know, that's it. I remember I'd, I'd, I'd you know, these days I'd buy like $7 eBooks off the warrior forum and people, people in SEO might, might know that as who have been around a bit, but I'd buy these $7 eBooks about how you can make your fortune. And I'd like create, yeah, that's it. I'm going to create this one page website and that's it. I'll stick it on the website for the word chocolate cake and think I was going to rank for it. And now it seems absurd, like, yeah. you know, but at the yeah. time, you know, because you, you're thinking it's that you don't know anything about backlinks. And, and this is well back in the day in terms of not like SEO is today. But, but yeah, and there were flops and there were successes. You know, I, I remember I wrote a, did a, a website on um, reviews, on grappling reviews. And I had people sending me products and things like that to review. I was like, great, this is, this is fantastic. So, you know, I've never had this before. And there was loads of things like that that I chopped and changed over the years. And then um, eventually... Um, I got really bad asthma 
So, and the police offered me opportunity I could stay, but I wouldn't be promoted because mm -hmm. I was qualified as a sergeant. And exactly. they, they were honest to me and said, listen, we want people to promote people who can go outside yeah. in the outside world. It was yeah. a very honest uh, discussion. Uh, or you can um, leave and, you know, they medically retired me. I left with a very, very conservative pension. It's not enough to live on uh, because, you know, I'd, even though I'd been in 17 years, it's still, it, I hadn't fully retired and yeah. had that pension. So I, I left and then people would say, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just going to try and do this freelance marketing thing. So I left and made a few phone calls. That was on like, it was actually seven years ago um, in March. So I left and then on April the 2nd, 2015, I started my like business and I had four clients lined up. So, uh, and they paid me four or five clients and it was about 2000 pound a month I was bringing in from day one. And then that's all I've done ever since until working with Embryo. It's like literally I've been running my own business mm. for the last seven years. It's been a busy time. Just before we go on to your first marketing <laughs> business, mm -hmm. um, just wanted to ask, with the benefit of hindsight, do you th kind of wish you'd gone into the marketing industry sooner or are you quite happy with the way things have gone? Uh, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, like, we're absolutely. all the sum total of our experiences, aren't we, they say, and, and there's no doubt that if I hadn't been in the police, I wouldn't be the person I am now. But at the same time, um, when I look around at Embryo, for example, and look at the, you know, there's some incredible young talent. And these are, you know, the people who've been in since 16. And, and when I look around, it, and one of the things I've, I've in the last couple of weeks since joining Embryo, it's like quite a humbling experience to see such really very young, talented people who are clearly the best in class and, and age isn't a representation of their ability. So it's yeah. quite, that for me is quite a humbling process being 43 next month um no laughing um so yeah so so yeah it, it, it has been quite humbling to see what a great skill set can look like um and i mean, obviously that's not necessarily across the board just because someone's young doesn't mean they're good yeah, but the but embryo is a, a hub of talent and it's really exciting to be part of that but yeah and so my son for example he's nearly 12 um he's got a very natural aptitude for marketing um uh, in English and writing, and certainly I would be—I wouldn't be telling him to go into the police force, do 17 years <laughs> of police force, and then you become a good marketer. Yeah. I wouldn't be telling him to do that. So I'm not unhappy with what I've done, but at the same time, I think now for me, I think if people want to be in marketing as young as possible is the way to go into it as early as possible. But I think as well, it's a really good point that you made about age and people being obviously quite young at embryo but great at what they do and i think that works both ways obviously you found your passion for marketing a little bit further down the line and sort of went out of your way to you know get the experience get the skills and, and i think obviously that is possible as well if, if you want a career change and i think that's it's quite inspiring i think yeah. to to see people like yourself do that yeah um, i think it's quite easy for people to feel like they've always missed the gun on joining yeah. like the marketing industry because yeah. they see a sea of just these young people sometimes yep. as 16 year olds going into apprenticeships and stuff so i, I mean i quite like it i quite like having the uh like more senior figures mm. and things like that it, it's great like obviously we we brought yourself in as as a senior figure and i think that's gonna be great it, yeah i mean i'm quite everyone's equal to me in terms of like you know i have a particular journey that's allowed me to do lots of yeah. weird and crazy things but yeah, it's yeah. incredible. <laughs> it's incredibly unique, and um, you know, it, it's at the same side. Um, what I would say is that you know, ageism, age, the door of ageism works both ways. Yeah. You know, in terms Absolutely. of you can be anti-young people, you can be anti-older people, and people, and everyone brings something really unique to the table. Yes. And I and I think we don't necessarily we judge. I think society judges age 
in lots of ways. Younger people might judge older people in the one way and young, older people judge younger yep. people. But what we can't see is depth of experience. Yeah. I know we say you can repeat, you can have 20 years experience in anything, be it or 20 years of experience in marketing, but that consists of one year repeated 20 times. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or you can have, you know, you make one year of marketing and it's incredible because it's that much experience, you know. So, um, and, you know, you really put the effort in one year and you can have a ton of experience. So I don't think time or age is a good judge of uh, ability anymore. Yeah. I think I think those days are long gone because the internet's changed everything. Yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously you touched there on setting up your own business. Um, I think seven years, did you say you've been running that for? Yeah, seven years, yeah. Um, and without saying the C word too often, um, COVID obviously came along a few years ago and, well, a couple of years ago, and sort of changed the way that we, we work. And I'm sort of interested to find out from your perspective as someone that has run a business during that time, whether you think the way that you've operated the business changed and whether marketing changed as well throughout that time? Uh, interesting question. Um, so I did something really stupid, really. I let all my clients out of contracts in COVID. So at the time I had built up quite a large base of international clients. Uh, so we had like a, a hot yoga studio chain in the US. Um, one of one of um, America's largest university accommodation chains. And we were talking hundreds of premises and things like that. And uh, as well as like I had a solicitor, road accident solicitor in the US, all their businesses ground to a halt. And they came to me and, and, and said, hey, listen, can we cancel? Yeah, of course. That, that's the thing. Even though I was contracted up with them, it didn't seem like the right thing. Mm -hmm. So I went from having quite a... Um, you know, I had a, I had a, quite a free, good freelance team. I went had it. Um, I had a, a range of clients. That were, it was good money coming in. I was really happy. Built the business up to that. And overnight, I lost ninety five percent of my business and clients. You know, a couple stayed, and then they waned off over time. Um, and yeah, it was really hard because I didn't get financial assistance from the government yeah. either. So because yeah. I was paid dividend part dividends part salary. Um, and it, just because that's the financially best way to, to for the accountants to handle things, yeah. so I didn't get any assistance for a long, long time, and then even then it went on rent because I was still paying rent on my office, and um, yeah, it was really, really hard. I'm not going. It, it, it was one of the most stressful, challenging times. The my wife was working, I was still working. We were trying to homeschool the kids, and yeah. you know, um, there was times when I thought that was it, it was done and dusted. It was the the, the actual business and marketing was over but what i didn't stop doing was marketing if that makes sense so i was still marketing i was still blogging mm -hmm. and i was still doing content for myself on platforms and and because that felt like the only thing i could control was my output and then post-covid as soon as things started to come out of lockdown all of a sudden it was like wow it was it was huge and um, that's for me personally in terms of, it, but generally speaking, it was more America straight away. Um, that, that came, they, they became more active. Um, and I think because different states had different rules around lockdowns. Mm -hmm. And so those American clients started, some companies started coming back to me, but it, it changed the way work is done. So mm -hmm. I'd already adopted for a long, long time, a rule of video conferencing. I'd been video conferencing for years long before COVID. Um, and I think that's changed the game and i also think that um we've got a lot of behaviors that have changed as a result you know we're ordering more food on takeaway apps aren't we i mean we never did that to what we did before um 
video conferencing lets people want to go meetings away. It's acceptable now, whereas we used to use meetings to an to a large point, meetings were used as status symbols. Oh, what are you doing yeah, today? I'm absolutely. going to I'm going to meeting. International travel was used as a status symbol. Now people think, well, I don't have to leave the family and kids to go to fly to Barcelona for a three-hour meeting and then stay in a hotel at night and then fly back exhausted. You know, so there's lots of changes going on, but the demand is different for products and services. It's just shifted in demand, if that makes sense. Yeah. We've gone from, you know, going out, we went from going out for restaurants to ordering takeaways, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think the idea of in-person meetings now, on the whole, it's, it seems almost dated, doesn't it? Why, yeah. why are you running around to all be in the same room at the same time for every time you need a conversation? Yeah. When you can just turn the screen on. You can see each other, hear each other. I think it's, a, it's, it's one of those it points crazy, that divides opinion because yeah. then on the flip side, I speak to people that still value that face-to-face -face contact. Yeah, there's definitely still value. In but it. I think from a business perspective, perspective and especially a money saving perspective and convenience. yeah and convenience it makes no sense to travel that far if you can save yeah. the money and do it via video yeah and we've done a lot by video link at the end of the day so if people want to travel to meetings then that might be a personal thing yeah but there are yeah. a million reasons why you don't need to yeah and then at the same time though we used to, people used to do business over dinner yeah. and that was what we did and that's changed and it, it is i think perhaps potentially video meetings as a skill in itself that that's going to develop Definitely. and improve and you know we all treat videos like a seance don't we you know uh, can you hear me can yeah. you hear me <laughs> and and you know and then there's a lag as well yeah. somebody always yeah. freezes yeah. in the video yeah. uh, and then Might you wait oh, they're on mute. yeah they're on mute. Uh, yeah it's and a classic line isn't it and how, and how often do we say oh the back the back yeah. the back so <laughs> so i think connectively the our internet i don't think globally is particularly good from what i know mm -hmm. um when that improves i think video conferencing might be more adapted yeah. Uh, yeah. but then we might all start to go back to the experience because there might be a status game yeah, again in meetings right. to where where those early adopters who go back to physical meetings yeah. suddenly raise in status and then there's going to be a catch-up in that if that makes I sense if you get to a point where everyone's really great at this video conferencing then the thing that might set you apart is, is the physical is, meeting is yeah. physical i'll come and see you meetings. i yeah. will come and see you That's, that'll almost become a weird thing almost in the way that yeah a couple of years ago oh i'll video call you might yeah. go, go full circle see that's really interesting yeah yeah i think i think it's a weird like because marketing changes all the time but then also the way that we operate as businesses changes as well so um but speaking of which obviously you had your own business but mm -hmm. you recently joined embryo um and obviously we think you ran your own business quite successfully so it'd be interesting to hear what the driving factors were behind that change and coming to an agency um and why why you made that switch that's a very good question uh okay so yeah there was a lot of driving factors to be honest with you around it um th there's a couple of things one i'm 43 next year and my cv is particularly vulnerable i would describe it as and that's not um yes i've done loads of things in inside of my own business you know and worked with some big names in marketing with tons of stuff got loads of like amazing results and um but it's always just been me and me spinning a lot of plates. And then me then, I had a um, full-time staff member as well now. Uh, and it was going really good in terms of 
you know, work was coming in. I had a great lifestyle. I won't, I won't lie about that. My lifestyle was completely different. You know, I, I literally used to take the kids to school and then I'd, sometimes I'd go to the gym and then go to the office. Mm -hmm. Then I'd, have to go in, then I'd do some work, then go pick the kids up again, then come back and do a bit more work. So I worked in bursts rather than this, uh, uh, like a normal nine to five day. Um, and worked in bursts around what I wanted to do. You know, if I wanted to work till 10 o'clock one night and started instead of working the day, I could do. So I had loads of freedom. Um, but equally so, I don't. my career is in marketing. That's where I've moved to. So, and I had to make moves. I never got into marketing to run my own business, if that makes sense. Yeah. I left the police force and took up a freelance career that molded into a boutique agency, if you want to call it that. And then... But my career is in marketing. That's where I've been for the last seven years. So it makes sense to make a career in marketing. And, and I've always been against joining an agency for loads of reasons. And I was considering in-house and in-client. Uh, but it'd have to be the right agency. Yeah. And over a period of some time, because me and em Embryo and I have had my, my pre-Embryo days, we, we I referred PPC clients to Embryo. So whereas I was doing the SEO and we would, if they wanted PPC, I would refer them. So I built a relationship up over a long period of time. I'd spent some time in the office. I'd met the team, seen the dynamic. And it was like, okay, well, I really wanted to be part of that. And, mm -hmm. and genuinely speaking, I hope Disney doesn't sue me for saying the Marvel word, but, um, the way I sort of create an analogy is I've met everybody and everyone's superstars. So everyone's superheroes of their own right. So Ross and James, um, the people behind Embryo, I think what they built is this Marvel universe of digital marketing agencies. And that, you know, yes, of course, I'm going to say that because I'm in part of the team, but that's the reason I've joined. Yeah. Not because I needed a job, because I didn't, because as anybody watching this, I've, I brought clients over with me. You know, we had the clients, we were doing really well. It's 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 because I, I felt that that was the right place for me to become the best marketer that I could be, and also to add my add to my skill set and my education by working in an agency. So it seemed a really logical move for me yeah. at this point in my life. Um, and so far, like I've been blown away. It's like going going again to school for me. <laughs> so you know, it's been an educational process, but a good one. With you having left your own business there and now coming to join Embryo, I just curious more than anything. What would you say is the most surprising thing you've seen so far since joining Embryo? And what's been your favourite thing since joining Embryo? Um, I think favourite thing, if I tackle that one first, is is that it's fast-paced. Okay. You know, it isn't, um, it isn't boring, is it? There's loads going on. And Always. Yeah, there is. Um, and sorry, what was the first bit of that? What's been the most surprising thing? The surprising thing really is um, the skill level is surprising in terms of, you know, generally speaking, marketing agencies exist to extract money from clients. We're not liked. Mm -hmm. Everyone, there's, there's, you know, another podcast called Everyone Hates Marketers. Um, and and it's, it's true because everyone does hate marketers and we ruin everything. Um, and that's the general look of us. Uh, yeah. But the way I see marketing is we're making change happen in the world. And um, some people, marketers get a bad rap, but nothing really happens out there without marketing to some degree. So, you know, what I'm surprised about really is the skill level within the teams in terms of, I think everybody is is an A-game player in terms of their ability, what they bring. The second thing is the professionalism for such a young workforce. Um, you know, I grew up, when I joined the police force, I was very young, I was 18, surrounded by a lot of older people. So I was sort of forced into the professionalism from an early age. 
and yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of responsibility and lots of different roles at a very young age. But then when I look at the team that embryo that is mixed up with a lot of younger people, the professionalism is incredible. It's like working with it, you all look young, but you, you all seem old headed. If all that makes yeah, some yeah. of us look young. Yeah, yeah, no comments. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, so there's I think behind the team of embryo, you know, it's one of them where you can't judge a book by its cover because the, there's a lot of people there who've been like 24 who've been doing this since they were 16, mm-hmm. and that's a long time to be doing something professionally day in day out. Um, and I know other agencies, and it's just like I'm not criticizing you know marketing degree routes because that's that I don't have a criticism of that. But I think some people are coming into marketing older, like yeah. you know hitting marketing after degree. They perhaps they perhaps leave university. They can't get the job they want in marketing, and they might be 26, 27 when they come into marketing. And you think to yourself, by that point, the people who've been in apprenticeships have come through yeah. that route, have got massive amount of experience within actual marketing. Um, and they come in there slightly late. Yeah, they can play catch up like I did, you know. And there's loads of things like that. But from my point, I am surprised at such a, such a young uh, group. When I tap into the experience, oh well, these people have been doing it for a long, long time, yeah. equally as long as I have yeah. in many cases, if not more so. And as well, and that and not includes the people, you know, other people in the organisation who have been doing it for for decades mm-hmm. with their careers. So, so what has surprised me is just the skill set. It's just, it's just a massive massive talent agency of, mm. of marketing skill sets and everyone's feeding off each other like 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 the avengers you know everyone's in there this is the it, it's the marketing agency want an end game if you know what i mean yeah. in, in terms of you know the the superheroes clients turn up then little circles from dr strange and the ppc team walks through clients <laughs> in the circle dr strange wizard another circle the social team walk through the seo team walk through the next one that's the way i sort of envisage it so yeah. um so when a client rocks up to a meeting with embryo it's it, it, there is literally a superhero team that can come into the meeting love and that. that's i think that's like one of the surprising things i've learned i love yeah. that i suppose with the roots into it like you were just talking it there whether you do an apprenticeship or university like we're kind of good examples that obviously you went to university yeah so this is what now your second third year doing second this? year yeah Whereas so I, i'm pretty yeah. fresh to it i didn't do a marketing degree i did politics and then yeah i just fell into marketing uh, marketing accidentally really yeah. but then Whereas i did the apprenticeship for... i started at 16 so this is my seventh year doing this now right. we're, we're the same age. we're the same age so yeah <laughs> it's just it's but you've obviously got experiences that i just don't have and and vice versa, versa. yeah I think, yeah I think it's really nice to and that's how you learn see off people other, play off it? each other as yeah. well because we lean on each other internally loads yeah. for information so to have people who've had these different career paths being able to give their insights to each other internally is something i found massively valuable um, yeah as well politics is marketing it yeah, yeah. yeah it it's a status game, you know. It's yeah. Punch and Judy, Punch and Judy, uh, PMQ, PMQs, and um, yeah. you know. So there's a lot of there's a lot of lessons. There's so much you can draw from so many different subjects in oh, marketing. God, yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, there is two different routes. I don't think it's a right or wrong one. No, I'm absolutely. I'm more I'm the ridiculously weird one. Yeah. So it's out there. So I'm the uh, decided to start freelancing later in life, um, and then found myself in this career path. Um, so I think there are a couple of routes in marketing and perhaps there's something that can be learned from that in terms of, you know, having, we've got more entrance points into, from marketing onwards. Um, and you know, it's, it is an interesting model. So to, to, you know, to, to see where, where skill is, 
and how you can bring it in from all over things rather than having one defined route. Probably something more from recruitment agencies to consider, yeah. mm. looking at Embryo and looking at the lessons learned from the people in, yeah. the, in the business. Something you touched on there that I find really interesting is how different subjects overlap with marketing and something that we've talked about quite often is behavioural science and how that mm -hmm. links into marketing. So could you tell us a little bit about how you think that ties in with marketing and how you think campaigns stand out when that behavioural science is considered within it? Okay, so I'm not a behavioural scientist. I'm, not, I'm the first to say that, you know, uh, I have luckily got to work with some behavioural scientists and interview a lot of them and they are amazing. These people are very, very highly educated. They have studied behavioral science, psychology. Um, but equally so, we can all use behavioral science to achieve results. What behavioral science really is about is about hum humans. We, we are context-sensitive individuals, and we know that, but we sort of don't think about it. You know, how an SEO campaign is, um, you might, if your users are targeting people on a mobile device where are they using that mobile device is, is something we don't really consider are they using it in the supermarket or while stood there looking at different tv sets figuring out what tv set to buy and they're searching for for, for articles where they can quickly make a decision um you know or are they sitting behind a, a desktop in a b2b environment taking yeah. some time because they've got to collect all the facts and things like that and we and we don't think of those things so behavioral science is all about trying to make somebody take a desired behavior that they'll be happy about mm -hmm. but that's always been marketing mm -hmm. it's just that the science has come around around 2002 the science around behavioral marketing really or behavioral science really started getting um a name for itself but there's loads of areas of that like price consulting is another one yeah. you know if people want to make more money you know raise the price and you'd be surprised how many people are anti-raising prices mm -hmm. but you know marketing allows generally allows for uh, prices to be raised there's, there's there's lots of reasons why we should be marketing and behavioral science links in links into um marketing really well because but it always has done the old mad many era copywriter didn't know what behavioral science was but they were gaining information because they would collect campaigns over a period of time because they would have to pay for envelopes and stamps yeah. every mail uh, that they sent out every mailing campaign or every ad in a newspaper cost a lot of money so they would have hits winners they'd be able to test and understand what worked and they'd have these testing procedures that they went out they ran small ads and then they, they, they grew they knew all this kind of stuff it's just it didn't gain a more wide stream um understanding until 2002 and then even now it's starting to break into the mainstream in terms of how how people use the internet and you know the how our selection process is we want marketing to be really simple we want to literally the client or the the prospect to press a button find our do a search find our website and buy from us but we know that's not how we use search engines yeah. mm -hmm. yet we try every the whole of the marketing industry is trying to sell it that way mm -hmm. but the reality is we do a lot of searches we do a Absolutely. lot of comparisons we ask a lot of questions yeah. we do a lot of evaluations crikey and that can take minutes or it can take months and it all depends on where you are you know if i'm choosing between tv set and tv set one and tv set two while stood in sainsbury's of which one i'm going to buy because they've got a deal on I'll then look at my phone to do a quick review about on Amazon. I might yeah. even go to Amazon, to be honest mm -hmm. with you, and look for product reviews. You know, so that person who's done that product on Amazon or maybe the blogger doesn't get anything from that. They don't get any click-throughs. They might get some ad revenue, who knows, for some of them. But, and 
it allows me to choose and that's how I would use the internet. And all I want to do is have fast information. So there's a lot of context sense, context sensitive marketing. And I think probably we're using hammers rather than chisels in marketing. Yeah. And we're not yeah. approaching things from behaviorally from the front end because we can think we can spam everyone to death and, and, and send just tons of ads their way and, and, and change things because that's how big brands used to do it. Mm -hmm. So TV advertising works on changing memory architecture in the brain. You see enough um, TV commercials when you're walking down a super, in your supermarket aisle, you open the freezer, you make the decision about which fish fingers to buy, whether it's going to be bird's eye or somebody else's, you make your own brand. You make that decision based on things you probably even don't even understand. You just make a decision. It might yeah. be the ad they saw last. So there's, there's a lot of behavioral science that goes on. The big brands are using it. I think now it's time for it to filter through to the more localized marketing agencies. And I think the, the impact will be really powerful for those that go on that path. That is fascinating. I think one of the main things you said there is like, you don't have to be a complete expert in behavioral sciences. Mm -hmm. in behavioral well, science. It's, it's always been a, yeah. a thing. It's just that now just it's start using it to your advantage. Yeah. You don't have to be an expert in it. Like yeah. it, it's something we spoke about a lot recently um, internally at Embryo is that process of exploration, evaluation, and how often you really do it. Everything you buy online, yeah. probably everything you buy offline as well, you go through that process so many times before you make that purchase decision. Yeah. Um, and someone's almost got to be that per that company that goes in with a fishing rod captures you, brings you out of that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You, the thing with behavioral science and something I picked up from the experts is it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of reading studies. It's a lot yeah. of reading behavioral science books. It's a lot of learning. And something I picked up from um, a fantastic uh, behavioral scientist called Charlotte Blank was uh, test everything in your own environment because what works for one person might not work for another person. You know, menu design is now done by behavioral scientists for some people. We've all been in the in the in the in a restaurant which has got a terrible menu and we pick end up picking something that we don't like mm -hmm. for the most strangest reasons. We're really strange. Humans are illogical. We look for social proof. We look for shortcuts because the brain is an expensive thing to run. It takes calories to make decisions. And we'll save calories wherever we possibly can because we don't want to use that because we're we're trying to maintain resources. You know, we've had a busy day at work. You've had lots of meetings. You go home exhausted, don't you? Because you've, your brain's been on fire. If we can take a shortcut about which restaurant do we want to eat at tonight, the one that's got the queue outside of it because it's popular or the one that's empty, you know, that we look for social proof all over the place and we're constantly looking for these signals. And behavioral science is a little bit like that. Um, and that's where marketing needs to come come in to yeah. its own, is it the smaller agencies, which are now because everyone's digital and marketing, is need to look at these models of how how and how we can adapt and bring them in to the customers and best serve them because they don't have the time to do it. They're busy running their businesses. They don't have the time to read behavioral science research, behavioral science books, marketing research. That's what we bring to the client. We bring a lot of knowledge to the client that they haven't got the time to access. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think the fact that you prefaced that by saying you're not an expert in behavioral science and then managed to reel off <laughs> so much insight on the yeah. topic is it's astounding. It's, it's <laughs> so interesting though. I, I can literally, I could talk about it all yeah. day. I find it fascinating. Um, but something I do want to rewind back to is you touched on martial arts briefly mm -hmm. um, earlier. And I believe 
somewhere in your career you were involved with the British Boxing Board of Control. So could you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, that well, about? yeah, okay. So the British Boxing Board of Control was the governing body for boxing in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't last that long. So my father was an inspector, <clears throat> pardon me, for the British Boxing Board of Control. Uh, which is, governs professional boxing. And um, for a period of time, this is some time ago, I worked as an inspector for the British Boxing Board of Control. It was a voluntary uh, role um, and I had to give it up really because I was just so busy with life and I would love to have stayed it on. Yeah. But yeah. if you've ever seen boxers and they've got little signatures on the, the, the gloves where the tape goes around, mm-hmm. I used to be the person that signed the really? tape. Yeah. yeah. So you'd have to, and then you'd, you'd see him, if you're watching TV unboxing, you'll see the cornerman get in and you'll see some guy in a suit stood on the ring apron just watching what's going on they're there to make sure that nobody's putting too much adrenaline in the cuts yeah. and um and no one's slapping a knuckle duster in the glove that type of thing yeah, or, yeah, or damaging yeah. so that so that was that was part of it. it was fantastic for the time i did it um you know got to watch some great boxing ringside yeah. i'm not gonna lie it was fun i think three free tickets to world championships in the house yeah, yeah it was like yeah big fights then world championships yeah carl frotch was probably the one i really? remember i can't remember whose opponent was off the top of my head but That's yeah big fights the, then. yeah so, yeah we used to do quite a few and then and then small shows as well you'd yeah. go to, but it was just, it was just too. At the time, I had a career as well, and and um, yeah. and then not long ago, met my my wife. So you know, I was in a young relationship as well, uh, and it was just too busy. So I, I, yeah. after about I think about ten months, I had to leave that one. Yeah, you also said you was involved in martial arts. Uh, which ones? Did you have any belts? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I've Do you been, still hold any? Yeah. Belts? Well, I, I, the reason why I got into boxing. Uh, the British Board of Control is because I was a boxer for a long time, so I okay. boxed in about 11 or 12, um, did that for a long time, and then from there, I've tried loads of different martial arts, and yeah. um, but judo was the one that mainly I, I've, I've stuck with, so I've been doing it for about 20 years now. So, um, You're still doing that then, yeah? Uh, I haven't done it for a bit, because I've had a few injuries just like I tore okay. my calf muscle not that long ago, and then uh, and just time has been a struggle. But yeah, up until COVID, I was on the mat um every week but it's and then just after covid i was back on the mat and i injured myself in the gym and and yeah. so i've I, I don't know when i'll be back if if for a long time because judo is really impactive on the body yeah. so it's like indoor rugby so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's it's a i think you've got a really interesting backstory like your your journey is so unique unique and it's it's amazing to unpick it all um and Dylan touched before on the fact that we knew of you before you came to Embryo through your LinkedIn presence. You've got a massive presence on there. So I was just wondering, obviously, you, you've done really well at creating this personal brand on LinkedIn. How important do you think that is now for professionals um, <coughs> in, in 2022 and beyond? Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Yeah. Um, so LinkedIn isn't an accident. So I'll tell you how that happened and that makes life easy for anyone watching. So uh, I took a course called uh, The Marketing Seminar by Seth Godin um, and it was one of the most unique courses. I took it several years ago and, and when it first came out and it was, it was, the way it worked was you, you changed afterwards, but you were only going to have access to the, the videos for like 60 days and every day you got a new video okay. and then you were involved in groups online. And one of the things he talked about was frequency and um, my SEO sort of head is create long form posts. It always has been for years. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. And that works really well. But the other thing is Seth Godin's the opposite. Seth Godin's actually hates SEO. He, 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 says, he calls it the salt mine of SEO. So I had this really big problem here in, in terms of how do I align my views on SEO? Because I think he's the greatest, one of the greatest marketers there is. And then how do I align my views around SEO when we're so opposite from that? So it took me a while to sort of look at search in a very different viewpoint because I thought, I think Seth, 
you know, sorry to criticise him, but I think he's got SEO wrong because um, he looks at SEO from the point of view of it's a, almost like a pyramid scheme. You've got to rank number one and only one person can be number one. Mm -hmm. But that's not really the point of SEO. So no. my view of SEO is that you create in doorways into your business. It's about brand exposure. But the second side of SEO is about brand exploration. Just because you're creating content that's designed to work rank on search engines doesn't mean it's all going to rank, which means you've got you you inside your business or in your website, it becomes its own search engine. Mm -hmm. And that's where the power of SEO really is because, yes, you can pay people to come to your website, you can do networking, do all these kind of things. But if they land on your website and they've still got questions unanswered, they're going to leave to another information source. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it originally, it took me a long time to get around to that way of thinking, by the way. It's not like, a, oh, one morning, it took years for me to sort of, hold on a second here, Seth's saying SEO is terrible, but I'm saying SEO is good. How do I sort of align these things? And it took me a long way thinking about SEO in different ways, which gives me this really weird viewpoint of SEO. But one of the things Seth is right about is humans respond better to frequency than anything else. I mean, Seth's right, right about loads, by the way. He's right about one. It's just me saying that I don't think he's right about SEO because I think he's looking at it through a different lens than yeah. it, because he's not in the industry mm -hmm. and he's made an opinion. And um, But he talks about frequency and the power of frequency. And if you think about it, who are we closest to? Do our closest friends, the ones that we speak to often? They are. Are our closest family members the ones that pick up the phone and calls more often? Are the closest brands the one we see more often? They are, aren't they? We, they, we have this relationship. We respond to frequency yeah. more often than anything else. You know, you go for your haircut. Your barbers, after you've been two or three times, they remember who you are. They remember your cut. So you choose them. So um, in essence, LinkedIn became a way for me to resolve what Seth Godin was saying about frequency without me being the person who had to blog every day. And I love daily blogs, by the way. I read yeah. Seth's, I read loads of daily blogs. Yeah. But And I think there's so many good reasons for daily blogging, and we do it to Embryo, and there's so many reasons for that. But in addition, LinkedIn became my micro-blogging platform. So I, I, I spent, made a commitment to, to, to writing on LinkedIn every single day. Um, and nobody read it ages it was like yeah. i get one or two likes and before hashtags were even used and yeah then, but i just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and putting my thought process out there and then it helped my thought process to be aligned better helped me to talk about the value of seo and that's the one thing i just talk about more than anything else now is the value of seo because yeah. we because almost like Seth's my opponent when i ever go on linkedin in terms of what can i write that that Seth Godin would read and say, oh, yeah, I've got SEO wrong. And that's that's sort of my sort of viewpoint is that if he's got it wrong, I know other people have got SEO mm. wrong. Yeah. So let's prevent change that worldview one bit at a time because I think SEO is criminally underfunded when it comes to application of marketing budgets. Yeah, I think we, we are literally, we get a big stick that, you know, we're beaten by a big stick by a lot of people because it's got a bad end. It's got a bad reputation, SEO mm -hmm. has. But that's because we're looking at it through the wrong lens, if that makes sense. So that's why I'm on LinkedIn every day. But regarding your personal branding, yeah, personal brand. If you're a young person, old person, whatever, LinkedIn, for as long as it remains good, because I'm sure marketers will ruin that eventually, <laughs> LinkedIn is the best way to present your personal brand. But it's only one of the layers, by the way. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is what was very important to my LinkedIn strategy is I had a website. So yeah. the amount of freelancers that have pitched me over the years and the first thing they say to me, so have you got any work, got any work on? And there was times I did have. So the next question would be, sure, where's your, what's your website? 
haven't got one, but I've got a portfolio. Yeah. So for me, that was a big no-no. I wouldn't yeah. hire them because they haven't mm -hmm. gone to the effort yeah. to produce their website. Yes, they might be active on LinkedIn, but when I look at their website, it's awful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe they just figured out the LinkedIn game a little bit or they're doing okay there, but they haven't committed to the website, to, to writing. And that's something that really frustrates me because a writer writes. That's yeah. It's in the blood, if that yeah. makes sense. So... Um, it's got to be twofold. You've got, yes, you've got to build your LinkedIn presence. I think that's massively important and build that brand that way. Or it could be Twitter, but LinkedIn, I think, is really important yeah. for professionals. But also, you've got to have that body of work on your website as well. And that takes you beyond LinkedIn because that's you, that's your portfolio, and that can stay with you. So I brought my kids domain names. Yeah. That's, one's, one's nine, one's 11. I brought their domain names ages ago. <laughs> so, uh, and they won't do anything with it. Yeah. But one day, one year, they're going to come to me and say, oh, I want to set up a website. Love Brilliant. Got one. So yeah, they were Christmas that. presents. So I brought the domain names for Christmas presents. So so if I was a parent, any advice to any parents is buy your kids' domain names, own their domain names. I wish I could get andrewholland.com. I can't, it's taken. But if you can get a domain name for them, then that's going to, you know, act there as almost like a, a blog a portfolio of work whatever they choose to go into but that's going to be that little area of the internet for them one day that's beyond just a platform because that's their own platform if, if that makes sense that's like mm. tell me you're a marketer without telling me you're a marketer yeah, yeah. buying your kids domain names yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. marketed by blood almost yeah right? but again yeah tell, tell me right tell me tell me you're a photographer without showing me a photographer <laughs> here's the url you know, so just go point. take your pictures of it. And, and that's the thing. Instagram, all these other platforms, you don't, you are the product. LinkedIn, yeah. I am the product on yeah. LinkedIn. It's, it's it, it, and you've got to have that second degree, which is, that, yes, build your brand, but also have a, another secondary destination that you own. Own a bit of, own a bit of internet real estate mm -hmm. is the way I would describe it. It's also backing yourself up, I guess, as well. Yep. Yes. Yep. Proof, proof is in the pudding. Covered, yeah. Jab, jab, right hook. You know, yeah. in LinkedIn or whatever platform you choose as your jab, your right hook's gonna be your um gonna is gonna be your website. So yeah. so yes, your personal branding's brilliant, but go the next step. Mm. That makes sense. Because yeah. employers are just gonna be looking at your website, be able to like oh, find out your views, your worldviews, your values. So but it, it's it's everyone's got a LinkedIn profile and Instagram profile, and that's great. But those platforms might come and go. So yes, build your own websites. Yeah. You spoke a little bit there about kind of your frustrations with the way some marketers view their own personal brand. What would you say the most important trait for a marketer to have is? Yeah, curiosity. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, look around you, curiosity. Um, Sam Tatum, who is a um, behavioral scientist at Ogilvy, has a book coming out, and I can't remember what the book is called, to be honest with you. But basically, it's about um, looking at your environment. And there's a fantastic case study about how a Japanese um, engineer solved the ability of trains going through tunnels really fast by looking at um, a bird going into the water. And there are examples of marketing all around us. There's examples of marketing in this room of curiosity things, you know, like the bricks in this room. This is a very old premises. Who, who put the bricks there, you know, and you, there's there's so many things. Or what company, Josiah Wedgwood was the, one of the first marketers in the world, you know, and I come from Stoke, so we know Josiah Wedgwood, really, it's a really big name. There's lots of lessons and things to be curious about mm -hmm. in, in society. Fashion designers, look at Jeff, um, I'm going to say Jeff Coons, uh, um, big dog, have you ever seen that? Uh, big giant dog, just a balloon dog, 
massive, huge scale worth it was sold for millions. And it's things like that. Well, how did he sell that for millions? Mm. Why is that worth yeah. millions when it's just a balloon dog mm-hmm. and it's just a giant scale one? Asking so, those questions, isn't yeah. it? And yeah. Yeah. Dig in. Why yeah. w- w- the why? Why? Everything from why is this why does that table look like that? Why does this microphone why where did this come? Why does it look like that? There's stories behind everything yeah. that you yeah. can tap into. It just requires you to be curious enough to find things that interest you. And the other thing is, it go the opposite way in terms of fi- go look at things that don't really, you know, don't interest you just to, to have a look at it. Go on a farming website. <laughs> yeah, you know, spend a couple of hours just going on a f- randomly. If I was going to create any tool, I, I'm, in fact, I might actually get this done as you literally uh, press random and it just comes up with any, any, any website in the most random thing. I'm sure it probably exists yeah, already. It, it yeah. Must do. yeah, yeah. So, and, um, and then literally you'll, you'll see different industries, how things do things, and it'll, it'll change you, change because there's so much out there. And then that'll, well, how do they market farms? How do, how do farm, Equipment. How does farm equipment get marketed? That's like a whole different ball game, yeah. isn't it? I'm sure there's an agency that specialises in just that, and they'd be interested to you and speak to. You. Well, what do you do? Is it the same mechanics? Do we use the same, or have you got different processes? So there's loads of different things. But being curious about the world around you is probably the best, best, best thing you can do or have. Love that. Thank you, Andrew. That was Pleasure. really, really interesting. So we're going to finish now with some quick fire questions that we ask all of our guests. Okay. So 10 questions just off the top of your head, just a couple of words. Okay. Uh, Dylan? Right. I'm going to fire these questions. Don't think. Okay. Just answer. <laughs> uh, favourite chocolate bar? Um, dairy milk. Biggest inspiration? Oh, my family. Your wow. best habit? Reading. Your worst habit? Snoring. <laughs> what would you change about yourself? Uh, well, I'm currently going through jaw surgery, so it must be my jaw. <laughs> so. Describe your life so far in three words. Unexpected. Interesting. Adventurous. I like it. What's something new happening in your life right now? Um, There's an obvious one. <laughs> yeah, well, joining Embryo is one, but I would say commuting. Commuting okay. is a new thing that I've yeah. never done before. Cool. Uh, your best subject at school. English. What does success look like to you? Difficult to answer in one word, because it's, but for myself, it is the ability to uh, enjoy your spare time and do the things you want to in your spare time. Yeah, interesting. I, agree I, like, that. I like that. And finally, what are your three favourite books? Okay, uh, Alchemy by Rory, Rory Sutherland is probably the best book that any marketer can read it's required i would almost say that's required reading um this is marketing by seth godin is a fantastic book as well um it's it's it, again it's required reading uh and the other one i would say non-marketing wise is the adventures of baron munchausen okay. so uh, that's a very very old book it's hard reading in terms of it's not one you could read but what it does is it's a really um it's got a lot of history to that book has and also it just is illogical and it's just like if you ever struggle in creativity flicking through that pages and finding a guy that rides a cannonball across a battlefield and told that story at dinner table (laughs) as if it was real is a really bizarre fact that those stories were told in reality as if they happened in reality but they didn't and it's just a step through it's just stepping into time but it's also, it just works that creative muscle a bit more. 
I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Andrew. And can't describe how excited I am to be working with you at Embryo. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to uh, work with Embryo and look at the future ahead. Yeah, it was great having Andrew on, on it. He's like, I know he's only been at Embryo for a couple of weeks now. Uh, but he's just so insightful. Yeah. It's so exciting to be working I with. think his journey as well to digital marketing is so unique. Like, as he was saying, people in the industry are usually quite young and either came in through experience or apprenticeships or a degree, whereas he just kind of fell into it accidentally, yeah, kind of. It is a lit literally a one-of-a-kind one story. Yeah. Like, no one else you'll ever come across will have that story again. Yeah. Uh, you'll have plenty of people who just bid to uni, fell into marketing. Plenty of people didn't. An apprenticeship fell into it, but there will be no one who did. Nearly twenty years in the police, exactly. Used to inspect boxing rings, <laughs> got himself into a bit of judo, yeah, uh, and then accidentally, as if by magic, ends up being one of the best strategic marketers, yeah. in, in the country. Yeah, no, absolutely fascinating. He's he's such an interesting guy. Um, but yeah, so that's um, us for this week. Um. Be sure to leave a five-star review, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time on Nevermind the Keywords.